for me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had sent uh, from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, again uh, this morning for Shelly. I thank you for choices, that they are standing in the gap between young ladies that are contemplating abortion, uh, Father, and they are there to show them just how much life uh, it is so important that we are uh, the highlight of your creation, Father, and, and that they are leading these young ladies to, to a relationship with you, Father, and, and, and upholding life. So I thank you for them. I, I thank you for that time this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Let it penetrate our hearts this morning. Let us learn about you, learn about who you are through your word, Father, and let your word teach us and convict us where we need to be convicted. In Jesus' most holy name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So this Gospel of John here, we, we're, we're going through the whole book. Uh, once again, I'm going I'm to probably open every sermon with this. We need to understand who Christ is and who God is so that we can know how to love him. And that's what this whole book uh, is about. The first two messages here, the first week we really focused on light, the word light and life. It kind of defined who he is. Uh, Second week was what his purpose was, uh, what John the Baptist's purpose was, and that was to bring hope uh, from where a place is uh, eternal, to, to proclaim that hope of Christ. So today, I want to talk about uh, what his incarnation means to us. We, we're going to discuss John the Baptist and him being the proclaimer of the coming Messiah. He was, what he said, the voice shouting in the wilderness and proclaiming uh, who Christ was. So the first point today is verse 14. And this is an extremely, extremely important verse. I want you to highlight it. I don't want you to circle it. It ties in to John 1 1. And, and verse 14 is telling us that the Word became flesh. So that literally God became flesh. And he is using the Word to describe God. So if you go back to John chapter 1, verse 1, it's in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Transition down to verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, or became flesh and dwelt among us. So God literally, God the creator of the universe, who was in the beginning, who created everything, came as a man, a physical human form as a man. Okay, that's extremely important. And he demonstrated, his life here on earth demonstrated to us the glory that the Father has and what he represents. Their testimony, so the, the book of John and John the Baptist, their eyewitness accounts, their testimony gives 
us first-person knowledge about who God is and what he said all through these Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So again, once, I want to make sure we understand this. If you miss the concept of this verse and you don't understand who Jesus is and you don't understand that Jesus is God, the rest of the book is going to fall flat. You might as well stop. I'm, I'm serious, you might as well stop there because you're not understanding who Jesus is. And we've talked about this on Wednesday nights with different cults and different uh, false religions that have a different view of Jesus that, as not being God. So they, it, everything else is just foolish after that point. So you have to make sure you understand uh, that point. And who else... Like we've talked this morning in Sunday school about the creation. We talked about Adam and Eve. Who else could redeem this earth and redeem us than the person who created it? And that was Jesus. So this first point is so, so key. So God created us in his own image. So this ties into what Shelley talked about this morning. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, Genesis 1, 27 says... God created man in his own image. Do you know why that's important this morning as we celebrate sanctity of life? Because God cares about his, uh, the babies. God cares about creation. Because it's in his image. And he became one of us in order to redeem us. That's important. We have to understand that. Turn to Psalms. Turn to Psalms uh, 139. Psalms 139. 13 through 14. Psalms 139, 13 through 14, says this, For you, for you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful all your works, my soul knows it very well. So we're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knitted us together in the womb. See, the big argument, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here today, it's not really in my notes, but the big argument about abortion is that people who believe in pro-choice and believe that it's okay to get an abortion don't really believe don't really believe that a baby is a human. They don't believe it's alive. Let me say that when something is growing, it's alive. So that the moment of conception is when life starts. After that, it's growing inside of you. So to terminate a human life, to kill something that is created in God's image, let me say as the church, we should never, ever stand for that. We should never tolerate that in any form. You understand what I'm saying? That means I can never support anybody who is willing, any party, I don't care what party it is, I can never support any individual or any party that says it's okay to terminate God's creation. It's just the way it is. And as a church, we have to make a stand. Listen to me. That's not politically correct, okay? In the society that we live in, that's not politically correct to say. Because people need to say, well, you know what? You're getting into somebody else's business. No, I'm in God's business, and God says we're created in his image. And if enough of the church, listen to me, if enough of the church would be outspoken about that and support that, support that with the, the way they talk, with the way they vote, with their finances, abortion wouldn't be. But too many times we're quiet and we're silent. And let me say this morning, guys, we can't have that anymore. We can't have that. So whether Shelly wants to raise money this morning for choices or not, we're going to raise money for choices this morning, okay? 
Now let me say this also. It's a shame, and I said this in Sunday school a few weeks ago. It literally is a shame that we have to have a Sanctity of Life week. It's a shame that we have to have a Sanctity of Life week. That preachers even have to talk about this. Because it's in God's word. It's, it's something that we, it should bother us every single day. And let me say, I know that there's, there's a big elephant in the room this morning. And let me say, and it's not me, okay? <laughs> let me say what the big elephant in the room is this morning. You guys all know that this week has kind of been a crazy week for me, right? Uh, I've been interviewed by news places. And if you go on Facebook, you'll probably see why. Uh, this week, I'll tell you real quick... Friday night, had a dog get in the pond. A dog fell through the ice. A neighbor's dog at our house fell through the ice at our pond. Selena yelled at me. I ran out, not even knowing what I was doing. I threw a rope into the dog, like a dog's going to be able to grab a hold of the rope. Well, this, <laughs> this dog was smart enough to grab a hold of the rope with its mouth, and I pulled it out of this pond, right? I shared that video on Facebook, all right, because I saved a dog. It's literally went all over. It was played in St. Louis this morning. I'm getting messages from all over the country. <laughs> literally. The, the, the news leader's done an article. I mean, it's been all over, right? I think it's been viewed roughly 80,000 times now, this video. Let me say this morning, I love dogs. I mean, I love animals, I love dogs, I don't have a pro I mean, I like them, I like, I like eating them sometimes, not dogs, but I like eating animals, um, I, I, let me clarify that, I like eating animals, okay, uh, that's going to be right by me, listen, so hey, here's the, here's the thing, I digress, I'm sorry, okay, hey, listen, here's the thing, Here's the thing. This has been shared all over the world because I saved a dog, right? Or supposedly I saved a dog. The dog was smart enough to grab the rope. I didn't really do anything. We get so excited about a dog. But yet in our country right now, how many millions of children are being aborted and we don't do anything about it? We don't share anything about that. But a dog we get excited about. I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of that. Because kids are created in God's image. Listen, they're created in his image. So I'm off on my rant about that. But I want, I want that to stick with you this morning, okay? I want you to think about that when I challenge you at the end here to put our money where our mouth is about abortion and being Christians. And that God has created, that God created us in his image. So here, going back to our verses here, it says, He came in both grace and truth. So we are without excuse. So that means without excuse, today, if you're sitting here today, and this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel, you now you know. I'm going to talk about Christ. I'm going to talk about him dying on the cross for your sins, and he rose again. And so you can never say that you weren't told. So after hearing this, you're without excuse. So John gives us two words in the scripture here, grace and truth. So Jesus came to represent both grace and truth so that we, may not, so that we might know God. Not only who redeemed us, that we can know him intimately, the one who redeemed us and loved us. These aren't just religious acts. These aren't, these aren't just religious rituals of going to church. This is a personal relationship with Christ. This is a personal relationship. That's who redeemed you. This isn't about, listen, 
If I hope you give everything you can this morning to choices, right? But let me say that's not going to gain you grace or favor in God's eyes. The only way that, 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 that we get grace and favor is through Jesus Christ who died for you. And we, don't earn, we can't earn that. We can't do anything for that. We have an opportunity to give to that. And we should worship and celebrate him. God desires, listen this morning, he, a personal relationship with you. He created you in his image to, for you to be redeemed. What is? Listen, we should worship and celebrate him. I've been asking my kids this week, I asked them, I said, what is the, the shorter version of the Westminster Catechism? And Sydney, I'll, Sydney will say, I'll say, Sydney, what? she'll say, catechism. She doesn't know how to say it, right? So I've been teaching them. And what is that? What's the answer? To glorify God forever. And enjoy him. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Part of enjoying God is creation. And everything that he created to glorify God. So everything that we do should be about glorifying him. And having that relationship with him should be to glorify him. So the transition here is that Jesus became flesh. He was always first. John says, you're first. I'm less, you're first. So we should put him first today. He should be the object of our attention. Everything that we do should glorify and honor him. It can't be about us. And so, so many times, listen, so many times we think, well, I, I do this and I've done that and I've done, and we start to puff ourselves up, right? And there's a warning for that in scripture. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 1 through 4. It says this, Because of practicing, or I'm sorry, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other men in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. You know what that means? Everything that we do should be about Him. Whether it's witnessing, if it's sharing the gospel, if it's leading someone to Christ, it's not about us doing anything, it's about Him. Whether that's teaching a class, whether that's working in the nursery, Everything that we do, cleaning, anything, everything we do should be to glorify God. Everything. And listen, if we start to get ourselves involved and we try to take some of God's glory, there's consequences for that. There are consequences for that. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. There was this man, I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's long, but I want you to highlight and I want you to read it, please, okay? It's important, it's important. But there's this guy named Naaman. And Naaman is the commander of the army of the king of Syria. And he is, he's, a, he's a great commander. There's one problem with Naaman. He has leprosy. And leprosy then was a very, very serious illness. Very, very, very serious. They had no cure, There's no cure you, you literally, it would cause your fingers to ultimately fall off, your nose. It was just a very, very horrible, horrible thing. Well, one of the servants of the king of Syria heard, hey, there's a man in Israel. S send him to the Israel. There's a, man, there's a man of God in Israel that can take care of his leprosy. 
So the king of Syria wrote a letter to the king of Israel and said, Hey, we're sending Naaman your way to be cured of leprosy. And the king of Israel said, What am I going to do? I'm just, oh no. And he tears his clothes in disbelief. He has no idea. He thinks the this king of Syria is going to try to scheme to, to bring war against him. He's scared to death. And one of his servants says, Hey, calm down. There's this guy. There's this guy named Elijah that will take care of him. He can cure him. So what does he do, right? What does he do? He sends Elisha. Elisha comes and cures. Uh, tells him, hey, go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times. Well, Naaman gets upset. And he says, I'm not doing that. That's crazy. Aren't there better rivers in Syria than the Jordan River? And one of his servants says, now, come on, Naaman. I mean, if he'd have told you to do something difficult, you'd have done that. Now, I'm paraphrasing here. That's why I want you guys to read it, okay? But he says, he says go do it. Just what, what could happen? So he does it. He goes down, he dips seven times, and he's cured of leprosy. And he comes back to Elisha, and he's bringing all these gifts of gold, and he, and he wants to lay him down at his feet and says, take all these gifts, for you've cured me. And Elisha says, nope, I don't want none of your gifts. God gets the glory, right? So Naaman leaves. Well, then Elisha has this servant, this servant named Gehazi, and Gehazi says, you know what? I'd like some of that stuff. So Gehazi chases after him, chases after Naaman. He catches up to him. He says, hey, my master, Elisha changed his mind. Give me some of your stuff. I want some of your stuff. So he takes the stuff, and he comes back, and he puts it away, and he thinks, oh, I just got rich off this deal. He was trying to take some of the glory. He wanted to be a part of it, right? And then old Elisha says, hey, Gehazi, where'd you go? What are you talking about? And Elisha says, well, didn't you, don't you think that I didn't see you? Go and accept what you were supposed to. And because you've done that from this day on, you're going to have leprosy. And the leprosy came to him. Why did that happen? Why did that happen? Because he wanted some of the glory. He wanted, he wanted something out of the deal. Listen to me today. When we serve, it should be our object should, of our attention should be the God who came in flesh, who died for us. Our attention and our affection should be to God, and not that we get anything out of it. That he gets the attention, not us. So we look towards him. Give him the glory. That's the first point today, is that the word became flesh. It's extremely important. You have to remember that. Second thing. Second thing. John says this. I already mentioned it once, but John puts Jesus first. John puts Jesus first. So should we. So how Jesus came, the incarnation of Jesus, that's a big question of scholars, right? The real question, when was Jesus really born? When was he born? Was it December 25th of 0 AD, right? I don't know. I can tell you what Galatians 4, no, we, we do, it's probably not right. This is what the Bible says, Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So it occurred, when Jesus came, it occurred specifically in the point of God's plan when it was supposed to happen. And not any other time. We can debate all day about the exact date. That doesn't really matter. It happened when God wanted it to happen. And at that point, John the Baptist, I'm going to follow Jesus. He's first. That's in verse 15. So Jesus always was placed first in John's life. That is a life lesson for us. That everything we do, Christ should be first in my life. 
everything. He should take over every aspect of my life. He's first. So he even uses the, the, word, the words grace on top of grace here. We have received grace on top of grace. Consider this stuff. Consider this in scripture. The first grace, God saved Noah and didn't totally wipe us out. Maybe even the first grace is what we've been talking about in Sunday school. That God didn't wipe out Adam and Eve because of the sin. Because that's how highly he regards sin. That he had grace that he saved Adam and Eve. And that he, he saved Noah and his family. Second grace, God gave us a law that we could follow through Moses. The first law that shows us. What does the law do for us? It shows us how guilty we are. That we're in need of a savior. The third grace, prophets like Isaiah, Jonah, Micah, given to warn Jonah, even Jonah to warn. Fourth, John the Baptist and his testimony to the same world that Jesus would see. And finally, the grace upon grace, Jesus willingly going to the cross for you and I. Willingly. No one made him do it. No one made him do it. That's grace. That's God's grace. That's poured out on us. He was willing to do that because we don't deserve it. But he did that because he loves us and he has grace. All right, verse 18. But even in this grace, it's an important verse. We've talked about this on Wednesday night. No one has seen God but the one and only Son. Now many can spend countless times arguing and, and debating this concept, right? Uh, and they will gladly probably use Exodus 33, 12 through 13 that says, No, God was seen. Let's be clear, we've talked about this on a Wednesday night, that Moses saw, what Moses saw was the second part of the Trinity in Scripture. He did not see God the Father or he would not have survived. What does 1 Timothy 6.16 says? Who alone has, has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see. God's glory is beyond comparison. God's glory is beyond comparison. Who could stand before him and live? And that's exactly what they say in, it says in 1 Timothy 6.16. So if you think that you could stand before God and live in his glory, unless you have Christ, unless you have Christ and you're in heaven, it's impossible for that to happen. To think so would be arrogant. So no one has seen God. Uh, no one has seen God. That, that is, John makes that clear. So now... The very nature of God has been made flesh for us to see. That's the second part of the Trinity. I hope you're following along here. God the Father cannot be seen. So, second part of the Trinity, God became flesh in Christ that we could see and adore. And we start living. Listen, when you start living with this knowledge, your life focus starts to change. Because now you want to start following what Jesus did, who Jesus was, what he commanded, what he taught us. Jesus' incarnation or being made flesh was to show us everything that God offers, right? It was, a, it was a, a gap between us. There's a gap. Listen, if you're not a follower, somebody asked me this morning about um, can, can unbelievers speak? Can, are their prayers heard? No, there's a barrier. It's called sin. Sin, there's sin there. You have to have a high priest in heaven that intercedes for you, and that's Christ, and that's exactly, there's a barrier between man and God, and that's sin. And so when you accept Christ your Savior, and he washes that away, now you can directly communicate with God the Father through Christ, because he's interceding for you. He's interceding for you. So we have to, here's the thing, 
No, man, no man-made religion, no false religion demonstrates God coming to mankind like Christianity. No one else. That's why Jesus is so hated. That's why people hate him. And the world hates him because we're all confronted with his righteousness and how perfect he was. And we're, we have to make a choice. All of us are either required to accept or reject him as our creator. Now, if you don't like this, we, we, nobody likes this. Because now you have to decide, am I want to live my life for Christ? Or do I want to live my life for my stuff, for what I want? Now we have a decision we have to make. I'm going to either reject the creator of all the universe and who died for me, or I'm going to accept him into my life, and my life's going to be changed. Now there's a choice. Turn to Romans chapter 1. I've talked about this a lot. It's important. Important set of verses here. Romans 1, 19 through 25. Romans 1, 19 through 25. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. They are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creature creator. So what they do? They made up a lie about who God is. Listen, we can do the same thing. We can do the same thing. We can create our own false Jesus in our mind that says he's going to be okay with the way I want to live my sinful lifestyle. You can create in your mind a false God, a false Jesus that won't punish sin, that isn't holy and just. And you can say his name. You can say Jesus. And it's not the same Jesus of Scripture. Or you can completely deny God and live for yourself. Now, you may not be making an, a, a, a graven image of a golden calf, but what you are making a graven image of is your stuff. My truck, my house, my stuff that I want is more important than Christ. And that's exactly we make up our own gods. And that's exactly what people do. They make up a false Jesus. So the second point was, John said, Jesus first. Is Jesus first for you? Is he the most important thing in your life? You're willing to give up everything for him. And I mean everything, I mean everything. Now I don't mean, listen, I want to clarify this. I don't mean, let's all go sell our houses today and be homeless. I'm not saying that. You know in your heart, because God instinctively puts it there, Romans chapter 1 whether you are following the creator of the universe or not. You know who he is. It's extinct. It's put in your heart. You know whether you're doing it or not. So, hey, is Jesus first in your life? There's two easy ways for a Christian to tell. There's two easy ways. Look at your calendar. What do I do with my time? Look at your checkbook. What's important to my finances? It's easy to tell. Easy to tell. Challenge you to do that. Third thing, last point. 
what is John doing? He's crying, make straight the way of the Lord, right? Prepare the way of the Lord. Many came and wondered, what is this guy doing? I mean, what is he doing? This guy can't be the right. And listen, there are always people that are going to try to discourage you when you get into ministry. There are people that are going to try to discourage you while you're serving Christ. When you are biblically serving Christ, there are going to be people that are going to try to discourage you. Listen, if God is behind something, we better not be against it. So we have to be very, very careful not to get in God's way. If God is working, don't be the one who tries to put the, the screwdriver in and mess it up. Get a, stand back and let him work. Let him work. And John, that's exactly who John was. He was starting to serve Christ, and there were people coming and trying to derail him. Right? There were people coming trying to derail him. And they were asking him questions. And John couldn't be more direct than he was in verses 20 through 23. I am not the Messiah. He is not the Christ. He wasn't the promised one. What did he want to do? Just like we talked about earlier. Give all the attention to Christ. Point all the glory. Let him get the glory. Let him get the glory. I must decrease so he must increase. Right? Second thing, and this is a reference to Malachi 4, 5 through 6. He says, I am not Elijah. Third thing they ask him, I am not the prophet. Reference to Deuteronomy 18, 15. What does he say? I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. I'm the one that's proclaiming Christ. He, his mission was to declare the one that was coming, the one that we all need. Right Now you have people enter from the right that want to derail them. They're immediately they want to seek to try to tear it down. Right? They're convinced that they have the knowledge of God. Just ask them. They're going to tell you. They know who he is. right? And they wanted physical proof from John of who he was. They were basically asking him for his credentials. Who are you? Who are you to do this? Right? Hadn't gone to seminary or been commissioned by them to serve. So in essence, they're asking him. The Pharisees are asking him, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? They're angry. Why would somebody be doing ministry without authority? Right? Well, you guess what? They've missed whose authority John the Baptist was under. And it wasn't theirs. It was God's. Right? And they were getting in the way. They were getting in the way. So listen. Here's, here's the application here. We need to be cautious before we start tearing stuff down. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Be cautious. Does it line up with Scripture? If it's ungodly, and something's ungodly, because there's so many people, you've got, you got to make sure. This is, you have to use biblical discernment, because there's so many people that will preach about Jesus, that will talk about Jesus, that are so close to Christianity, and yet they're lost. And so does it line up with Scripture? We have to be biblically certain that it lines up with Scripture. If it's not, it's wrong. John does. He's pointing them to Christ. If, it, if we're pointing people to Christ... Point them to the real Jesus. That's God's mission. So he says in verse 26, verse 26, that he's, in comparison to what Jesus is going to do, I'm nothing, nothing. And, and talked about water baptism, right? Water baptism at that time, an actual ritual act of cleansing that demonstrates repentance. It was a sign of those who were anticipating the coming Messiah, right? And even doing that, and John had a huge following. John didn't get puffed up. He considered himself unworthy to even untie Jesus' shoes. Think about that. Think about that. 
Having, having been in ministry or teaching a class doesn't make you any more or less important than others. John the Baptist, the last Old Testament uh, prophet here, the cousin of Jesus, admits his worth. He's not even worthy to untie Jesus' shoes. He's humble. He's humble. So what does that mean for me and you? What does this mean? As I close here, what does this mean for me and you? John gives us some answers to three important questions. First one, we are not the focus of the witness. Christ is. It's not about us. We are not the light of the world. Jesus is. He lives in us. Let our light shine. Let the light who lives in us shine. Not us. We're not the light. And we proclaim Christ so that others may believe in him. That's exactly what John was doing. Now listen, this is hard. I understand this is hard. This is tough. Because pride, for, for, it's a lifelong journey that some of us have to battle pride and wanting to, to swell ourselves up. Some others, it's not a big deal. It's your desire. You, you live and serve. Uh, and, and others, hey, some of us spend a whole journey that they can never, a whole lifetime, they can never figure out to humble themselves before Christ. And he's always just out of reach. It's always just out of reach. And they struggle and they struggle and they miss who God is and they never are truly free. Listen, our mission, our ministry here can never be about me and you. It always has to be pointing people to Christ for, for praising Him, not praising us, not saying, man, what an awesome church they go to. What a great music group. What an awesome class they teach. None of that's important. Point them to Christ. We do that because we love him. Now, we do have awesome classes. I do think we have an awesome ministry. But that's not the focus of why we do it. We do it because we want to glorify God and we want to make him. So here's the review. Quick review. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God. John puts Jesus first. Second thing, so should we. He should be first in our life. And John was crying, make straight the way to the Lord. We should be crying Make straight the way to the Lord. Everything that we do, make straight the way to him, not us. So do you have decisions today that you haven't made about who Jesus is? I'm going to ask our, our, our uh, team to come, but we're going to have an invitation song. So if you would stand with me this morning. Do you have decisions today that you haven't made about who Jesus really is? Let me tell you today... If you have and you haven't made those decisions, you are without excuse. Right now, I've just told you who Jesus was. Jesus was God in flesh. You are now without excuse. Maybe you need to make that decision today about who you really believe Jesus is. The second thing, Christians, is Jesus really the highest priority in my life? Can I give more? Can I do more for him? Is he the most important thing in my life? In my life? Does my finances, does my, does my calendar, does my attitude show that? Hey, let me, let me say this. I want our church to cry out for Jesus in this town. I want us to point people to him. And maybe today you need to come and you need to join this church. Because that's the mission. It's not about me. It's not about anybody else in here. It's about Christ and that's it. Lastly, today, we've had choices come today. I want to tell you guys, I don't think that there's any other better option today that you can sign up 
to support local ministry. We have these cards up here that you can sign up, that you can have money taken out of your checkbook every single month automatically to support Choices Pregnancy Center. I'm never going to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. And I challenge you today, if you haven't done that, to do that. And pray over this every single, every single day. Pray for choices. Pray for our country. We can make a decision. We just have to be willing to stand and say, hey, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And this is part of serving the Lord. And it's about making a commitment and putting my money where my mouth is. If you need to do that today, Shelly at the end of the service is going to be in the back. Maybe you just want to uh, do a one-day uh, contribution uh, to that. You pray about this. Come and pray about it. If you want me to pray with you, I will. Um, let's pray right now and then we're going to have our invitation. Father, I thank you uh, for today. I do thank you for Shelly coming today and keeping us informed about choices and that great organization and how people are, are coming to faith in you and how uh, they are pointing people to just how important your creation is, that we are created in your image, Father. We're, we're without excuse. So, Father, give us the strength uh, to combat this evil in our world and let us see it for what it is, Father. Let us support this great mission today. We love you, Lord. Forgive us when we've puffed out our chests and thinking that we are something. Uh, we're nothing without you. So today, Lord, if there are people here that need to make decisions for you, burden their hearts today. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God sent his son. They call him Jesus. He came to
today is Romans chapter 8, 38 through 39. It says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation we will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to ask that Shelly go to the back um, and and. Crossbridge, let's support her. Let's support the organization today. Mike, would you close us in prayer? 